You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder, and I can report to you that David and the worship team have been waiting to sing that song for a long time. John 11 finally got here, and they were able to sing it. The one that beautifully uh, indicates what Jesus' resurrection does for us. A couple of things, just a couple of quick prayer requests. Elsie Doyle had an implant, a pump that pumps medicine. It was permanently implanted this past week in her back, and it gave her great relief the first day, but then excruciating pain last night, and she's back to the hospital overnight and today. So please pray for her. And Jim McLaughlin asked that we pray for Diane. Her, her foot is healing well, but she's just got some stomach issues that have been lingering, and please pray for Diane. And I know those two represent a lot more issues that people are experiencing. So just be praying for one another in the body. When my children were little, uh, they loved stories. I, I got to tell you this and think about this earlier, but I, I'm thinking about it now. About the only show that my wife and I, and you got to remember it was back in the day. First of all, we lived in the mountains. We got two and a half channels, and so we didn't have many options. But the only show they were allowed to watch almost was Little House on the Prairie. So one day, <clears throat> my girls were playing with dolls, and they were going, da da the music's getting scary now. One of y'all go out and get dead. So I guess they had picked up on that's what happens when the music starts. Uh, on those kinds of stories. But when Linda, my wife Linda, would read stories to my children, everybody within earshot stopped what they were doing. I mean, they put down the stuff that they were dealing with and walked over and listened. She just had that kind of mesmerizing effect when she would tell Stories And Allison has the same effect when she is telling stories to the grandchildren or any children. Everybody just stops what they're doing and they listen in. How does it, how, where is it going to go, do you suppose? Why is it that we all love stories? All ages love stories. Well, for starters, we just want to know what's going to happen next, right? And you get involved in a story and you can't quit. Even if it's a story you're not all that interested in. You ever wish... Why did I start watching this show? Or why did I start reading this book? But I can't quit now. I just have to see where it ends. But we also learn how to live when we listen carefully to stories about how others handled life's many and varied challenges, which is one of the reasons. I know some of you feel like fiction is a waste of time. It's not. Well-written fiction, good literature, tells us a lot about how we're supposed to live. It, it, it characterizes the human soul and the human experience in extremely relatable ways. So that's my encouragement to go out and read Lord of the Rings, which will be referenced later in the story or in the sermon, I'm sorry, which is really a story at the same time. We're always, when we're, we're hearing a story, we're looking for a hero, we're looking for a villain, a protagonist and an antagonist, and for the meaning of the story which just may well point us 
to the meaning of life. As a young man, even before he was a believer, C.S. Lewis was fascinated with ancient tales and fables and myths and gods and heroes. And so Lewis' good friends, his two good friends, J.R.R. Tolkien and Hugo Dyson, challenged him to consider the gospel as true myth, the ultimate reality to which all other stories pointed in some fashion. Lewis' imagination was captured, and the rest, as they say, is history. Real meaning in real history. Aren't you glad that C.S. Lewis came to Christ through the stories that he had learned and to read the story of Jesus and to realize it's true and I believe. The difference between the Bible and all the other stories, Lewis concluded, is that the events and teachings of the Bible happen in real life in space and time, which is why when Jesus enters our worlds, he's not out of place at all, but exactly where he needs to be. And it has meaning for us. As we learned last week, while the Christian faith is eminently reasonable to those who believe, reason alone is not going to get you there. It's amazing for me to watch Extremely intelligent individuals say, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. A crisis in their life happens. They begin to examine it, and they believe. And now, all of a sudden, it not only makes sense, but it is brilliant beyond imagination. Reason won't get you there, but when you believe... When you hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you believe, then it is extremely reasonable. And there's enough reasonableness before to believe. But when you believe at all, the pieces begin to fall in place. The teachings of Scripture are compelling to many who will examine them carefully. And they're remarkably consistent and unquestionably useful for human flourishing, anyone who lives according to the principles of Scripture, whether they're believers or not, will have a better life. But law, once again, will never get us where we need to go. As great as Moses was, he died short of the promised land. He could see it, but it was Joshua, Jesus, Savior, who took the children of Israel in. And only through Christ... Will we have eternal life? So finally, in all of these things, the Bible addresses the great questions of life in a Ravi Zacharias-esque list here. What is my origin? Where did I come from? Does life have any meaning, especially in the midst of suffering? What is my purpose in this life? A note and clue, it's not necessarily where your heart is wanting you to go. Follow your heart. Is not, that's not what this is all about. What is my purpose? What is the purpose for which I've been designed? And is there life after death? Where am I heading? What is my destiny? Even our confessions of faith tell a story. When we hear about God the Father, I believe God the Father, creator of all things, Jesus, in his, we read about or we confess our belief in his incarnation, his life, his death, and burial, resurrection. 
So our confessions of faith tell a story, or as we will see today in John 11, the stories lead to our confession of faith. So today in John 11, we're, a, uh, we're in John 11, where a long story is being told, as in John 9, when Jesus healed the blind man who was born blind from birth. So here is another story, and here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to come forward, and then Allison is going to sit up here and read the story. No, that's, I'm sorry for getting your hopes up. That was, that was cruel. Um, here's the real order of the message. We'll stand in just a few moments as the pivotal portion of the text is read, John 11, 25 through 27. Then after prayer, we'll work our way through the text, and although there is much to learn here, I will only make a few observations and head toward application at the end. You know, I really wanted to do this one differently. I wanted to just stop right in the middle of going through the, the, the text at, at a particular portion and say, here's point number one, then get back to the story. Here's point number two. But it messes with the flow. So we're just going to see the, the way the story goes, and then afterwards there will be plenty of application. Next week we're going to come back to Jesus' theological fo focus on the resurrection, and we'll also finish chapter 11. Fairly soon in John's gospel, we're going to be learning as Jesus teaches his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And we need the, the, the lessons from both settings, both the storytelling, not the storytelling so much by Jesus, but the story happening in space and time. And then when Jesus sits his disciples down or they stand up, as the case may be, and he gives them truth that they're going to need to know in the days ahead when he is crucified, resurrected, and then ascends back to heaven. John 11, verses 25 through 27. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Jesus said to her, he's speaking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Father, we confess along with Martha, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world and who died for our sins and rose again, assuring the justification of all who will believe. And you now sit at the right hand of the Father. And one day you will come again for us. We long for that day. May we be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, as we begin chapter 11, you'll recall we ended chapter 10 with Jesus leaving Jerusalem and, and Judea to avoid uh, arrest at the hands of the religious leaders. We are only now introduced in the Gospel of John to Martha, Mary, 
and Lazarus. We know who they were from Luke's gospel. But this is the first time we encounter <coughs> these three in John. It's the only time in the four gospels <coughs> excuse me, that the name of Martha and Mary's brother is given. I, I won't go into too much detail with this. But one possible reason for that is that John wrote his gospel much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This could have been a case of intentional uh, anonymity where the gospel writers were protecting um, Lazarus because as we're going to see in a couple of weeks in John 12, after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, there was a bounty on his head. Again, I've told you this over and over, and I'm sure I'll say it again two weeks from now. I can't help myself. I, it's one of the craziest things in the Bible. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We've got to kill Jesus, and we may as well kill Lazarus too because people are talking about this. I would hope they would be talking about this. So anyway, could be that the others kept quiet on Lazarus. He may have been in hiding. We don't even know. But John is writing at a time when that danger is past, and so he tells us who it was that was raised from the dead. Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus' response, especially as we know what is going to be happening, is a little bit puzzling. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then he held his position for two days. He was not waiting so that he could do a parlor trick or, for those of you under 50, a magic trick. He wasn't just going to do a trick in front of everybody. He wasn't waiting for that. But that God's glory might be displayed. We're going to come back in the application to the monumental role that God's glory plays in everything. John dispels any notion that Jesus didn't care. And he waited because he didn't care by saying that he loved them. He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. After two days, Jesus told the disciples they were going to go to Judea. But the disciples reminded him the last time they were there, the, the religious leaders wanted to stone Jesus. And they were saying, Lord, if Lazarus dies and you get there too late, but they see you, they're going to try to kill you. And it will be a meaningless, useless death. No need for you to go. The back and forth between Jesus and his disciples is exactly the kind of banter you would expect in a real account between friends. And that's exactly what it is. A real discussion between Jesus and his disciples. The disciples made the understandable mistake of seeking to advise Jesus about his movements. You've never done that, have you? Advise Jesus about how he should cause things to go? Lord, I know this is your will. Your word tells me it's your will for this and this to happen. So I believe you and Get on with it. How about it? Was it wrong for Martha and Mary to sin for Jesus? No, heavens, no. Absolutely, that's what you do in a crisis. Sin for Jesus. Let him know 
I need you. Was it wrong for the disciples to seek to dissuade Jesus for putting himself in danger? Well, let me just say this. It was natural for them to seek to persuade Jesus to stay away from trouble. But Jesus reminded them that while it is day, it's time to work. Jesus was also telling them that they had no need to fear because neither he nor they would die before the appointed time. We had a funeral here Wednesday. That's why the flowers are here. Phil's wife, Pat, said it over and over. Through tears, she said, it was his time. We all have an appointed time. And it's just reminded me, as well as Kevin Van Hooser's book, Hearers and Doers, talks about this so much. We make such an idol out of physical fitness. Should we stay fit? Yes, absolutely. Am I doing it? Absolutely not. But should we? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> but regardless, each of us has an appointed time. And you know what we're called to do? We're called to work while it is light, while we have breath. We're to be about the business of the kingdom of God. Angelica, the swimmer, where is Jelly? Where is she? Is she back here? Okay, Angelica. I told you a few weeks ago, I think, my mom, when I was swimming when I was young, would always, I won a lot of races because she said you can rest at the end. Angelica took that to the next level. She broke her hand coming in. Imagine that kind of dedication, getting there as best you can. That's, in a sense, the way we ought to live our lives. That doesn't mean frenetic pace, but it does mean living with a focus. So Jesus is like, he didn't say this exactly, but the point is, you don't need to worry. You will die when your time comes. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus recklessly put himself in harm's way. Many a time, in fact, at the end of John 10, what happened? He escaped away from their arrest efforts to arrest him. So it doesn't mean be reckless. But when you're in a place where you're doing the right thing and danger is present, God's going to take care of you until it is your time. And if it's your time. If it's your time, let me just ask you this. Do you think Phil, if he had a choice, would be back with us today? Or do you think he'd say, ah, pretty good up here. I'm going to stay in heaven. That's what we're waiting for. Perhaps there was a lull in the conversation before Jesus said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go to awaken him. I think most of the disciples went, Peter went, he's asleep. That's what you need, sleep. When you're sick, that'll help him. Don't go wake him up. Just let him sleep. Then the difficult news. Lazarus has died, but for your sake, I am glad that I was not there to prevent his death because in the end, you will understand 
my death and bodily resurrection and the bodily resurrection of all who believe the promises of God reside in me. Okay, well, he didn't say it exactly that way, but that's what he meant. And they would understand this down the road. They would understand that that's exactly what he was saying. This picture points to the ultimate reality for all who believe in Jesus. So then Thomas said, okay, okay then. We will go and be with you, and we can all die like Lazarus. Now, I'm not sure if this was more like Eeyore or the kind who goes bravely to a suicide mission because it's the right thing to do. I'm guessing more Eeyore than Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, all right, let's go. We're all going to die. Let's go. By the time Jesus got to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead four days. There would be no question about whether he was truly dead or not. <clears throat> when Martha had heard that Jesus was on the way, she went to meet him. And Mary, presumably overcome with grief, stayed where she was. Then Martha said something to Jesus that I'm sure none of us has ever said. Lord, you could have stopped this if you wanted to. Why didn't you come? Why weren't you here when Lazarus got sick? Where have you been? We needed you. Jesus promised her that Lazarus is going to rise again. He knew what he was going to do, but Martha couldn't see the full extent of the miracle that Jesus would perform. This last of the seven signs in the Gospel of John, all pointing to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. We're not done with the I am statements, but we're done with the signs after this one. And then, of course, the resurrection is the ultimate sign. Martha's response was limited. But again, we can identify it's not that Martha was bitter. Even in her grief, she acknowledged that on the last day, Lazarus would rise from the dead along with all those who believe God's promises. Then Jesus began to take her deeper into the truth of who he was. Now, we're going to spend more time next week going deeper into uh, Chapter 11, John 11, 25 through 27, uh, next week. But it's enough right now to realize that Jesus was seeking to take Martha, as D.A. Carson puts it, from an abstract belief in what will take place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. This is not just a spiritual belief. It is a reality. And you must get beyond what you believe to believing the one who can make it all happen because this is the design from the beginning. Jesus' raising of Lazarus was a foreshadowing of his own bodily resurrection and his resurrection foreshadows our 
bodily resurrection. There is no salvation apart from Jesus' resurrection, nor is there salvation if we do not believe that he rose from the dead. On this day and in his word, Jesus is asking us much like he asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Martha's response was nearly as fine a confession as Peter's confession in Matthew 16. Think about it. Just tucked right here. This is great. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So when you are tempted to think, oh, Martha, always busy, she gave one of the best confessions of faith about Jesus in his time before the crucifixion, resurrection, and Pentecost. Martha's all over it. We now move to Mary's part of the story. Jesus called for Mary, and she came quickly to his location outside of town. Whereas Martha had a fine theological discussion with Jesus, Mary fell at his feet, where we often find her. And she said the same thing that Martha had said. Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary was much more emotional than Martha had been. And it moved Jesus. It moved him deeply. Just think about this. I didn't think about this until just now. You think about the two personalities. Jesus met them exactly where they were. Some of you are more thoughtful or not, not thoughtful, but more academically minded. You want to think about things. You want to carry them all the way through. Jesus is right there with you. Some of you fall to pieces and fall at his feet, and it moves him deeply. No matter who you are, what you are, where you are, Jesus is willing to meet you when you call out to him. After being taken to Lazarus' tomb, we're told that Jesus wept. That was the favorite verse of campers at TBR when they got points for memorizing verses. Jesus wept. Everybody knew that one. But there's a lot, if you don't know more about that, that you don't know. It's putting it mildly to say that Jesus wept. Some translations say that Jesus groaned in his spirit, but the Greek word is even stronger. The sense is that Jesus snorted like a horse. There's a sense that he was angry. Why was he angry? Let's think about that for a minute. We know that Jesus was not angry because he didn't make it in time. Oh, oh should have come sooner. Oh, he was right on time. He always is right on time. He wasn't angry with Martha and Mary's response. Martha gave a powerful confession of faith. And, and Mary's grief brought Jesus to tears. Why was he angry? Most likely, he was angry 
with sin and the effects of the fall. Maybe he's thinking ahead a little bit in a couple of weeks, uh, not long at all, I'm going to be in this place. I'm going to be in the, in the tomb having to come out. And when I'm on the cross dying for the sins of the world, my father is going to turn his face away. And I'm going to take the wrath that was designed for these I love and, and, and all these here, these who are opposed to me. I'm dying so that sin may be overcome. We know that this was a very public event, as grieving was. Look, you hired at least two uh, professional mourners and a, and a flute player. If you're having a funeral, you had that. We do things for funerals. Some of you beautifully serve the family and preparing food for the, for the family. In, in that day, thank you so much, and all the others that did so many things this past week. But, but in, in the ancient days, there would be a, a, a flautist, I suppose, and professional mourners wailing and throwing dust into the air, and other people would get into it. And so this event was very public, and we know that the opponents of Jesus were in the crowd, standing around saying, what's he going to do? Right on cue, some in the crowd expressed a level of discontent about Jesus' late arrival. Well, he shows up now. I mean, this guy that healed the blind man, couldn't he have kept this guy from dying? Once again, in verse 38, we're told in the Greek that Jesus was moved to an anguished cry as he came to the tomb. When he called for the stone to be removed, Mary was understandably alarmed. The spices and ointments we read about in the, in the Bible that were used to dress the bodies of the dead were to cover the smell of decaying bodies. Bodies were not embalmed in ancient Palestine, and thus the dead were buried very quickly. And in fact, part of the four-day delay is that Sometimes I imagine they buried people who said, hey, I'm, I'm alive in here. I've come back. They swooned as the, the, the popular theory is about Jesus. But again, you're in the tomb that long, beaten like Jesus was, dead like Lazarus was. Martha had no sense that Jesus was going to raise him from the dead in spite of what she had just said. She said, Lord, there's going to be a horrific odor. Jesus quickly reminded her that he was in charge. And don't you know at this time, he cries out with a loud voice. And I imagine he keeps that loud voice even after Lazarus comes out. Let's read verses 41 to 44. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that, may, that they may believe that you sent me. Look, I don't want to make too much of this, but again, just let me just stop right here. This is what happens a lot of time. Someone wants to challenge you about your faith publicly. Um, you're not going to convince that person, but you have no idea who's standing around who might be convinced or at least persuaded to give this another thought. 
Jesus, though, whole different purpose. He knows what's going on. And he says, I want those standing around to believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! That was dramatic. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Well, that's the sort of the tenor, some of the commentaries that I read. Again, distill this just anger like, look at what sin has done. Let him go. Just let him go. He's free now. That's powerful. Sam Gamgee asked Gandalf, in his very simple way, the great hero of the story, really, Sam Gamgee is Lord of the Rings. Is everything sad going to come untrue? John 11 is a glimpse, a picture that indicates, yes, indeed, everything sad is going to come untrue. So how do we apply this text? Five ways. One, God does all things for his glory. And we would do well to seek to glorify him in this age of narcissism. Every decision Jesus made was for the glory of the triune God. The decision to let Lazarus die and the decision to go to Judea were not easy ones for Jesus, but they were the right ones for God's glory. So what is the cause of your present discomfort? And in your discomfort, have you prayed, God, be glorified. In my pain, be glorified in my loss. Is it wrong to mourn? Oh, no. The psalms of lament are filled with not only mourning, but questioning. Questioning, but God's glory ultimately is the thing that we should seek. We'll get to the other in the next point. You, and look, if you desire to glorify God, even when life is difficult, you're not going to get much help from the culture. Tell me one profession or one social structure today that is designed for you to get ahead by being humble. God's ways are not men's ways. We know that. God says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. And I'm thinking... That is often not just in eternity, but God exalts those in this life who humble themselves. And then you've got an immediate struggle with pride, if that's the case, right? And then you've got to watch out because pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But, but the world is not set up like that at all. Humility may be charming to some people initially. But sooner or later, almost everyone is going to tell you, you've got to look out for yourself. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to blow your own horn. You're going to have to give yourself a round of applause and, 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 and learn how to get your story to blow up on social media so that people will know who you are. 
But if I'm going to walk with the Lord in humility, it is important for me to realize that this is not my story in which God plays a part or a role. This is God's story. And I'm blessed to be in his family as he brings glory to himself through all the circumstances of my life. The decision to be humble and give glory to God is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision of the heart. And just because you get it right now doesn't mean you're going to get it right in five minutes. If we seek God's glory no matter the cost, we will be privileged to participate in kingdom work at high levels. Second, we are granted permission to question the Lord. But the sooner we learn to trust his purposes, the better we will be. <laughs> Look, the Psalms of Lament, as I referenced a while ago, indicate, oh, yes, God wants you to come to him with your concerns and even your complaints. But even in your complaints, you must trust God like the psalmist always does, except for Psalm 44. God is infinite, we are finite. God not only sees the big picture, he designed the big picture, marred by sin, though it is. Allison and I have been putting together a 1,500-piece puzzle for about, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11 months, something like that. Before you go judge, well, okay, go ahead and judge, that's all right. It's a time thing, truly. Jim Acock would have it done two or three days. He's itching to get to it. He's seen it, but he can't quite get to it. And some in our home group have participated, but, man, they would love to get to it. But it's a time thing. Even so, I have never, with the pieces that we've got in place, I've never heard one of them demand an explanation for why it was going where it was. Because it makes no sense to the piece whatsoever. What are you doing putting me over here? What, are you, what is my color? What is the color here? What are you doing? This is not what I'm designed for. Oh, until it all gets together. And then, oh, oh, okay. I see this splash of red in the midst of this blue. That may not be the best analogy. But the next time you do not understand something that God is doing in your life, ask God to give you confidence. To give you memory and the confidence to believe that everything has its place. And is part of a perfect design that will make sense at some point in your existence, even if it's in eternity. It may not take that long. How many times have you thought, this is disaster? And it was for a bit. But in the end, it was by far the best thing that could have happened. And you see it, and everybody else sees it as well. The more you trust God with both the big things and the little things of your life, the more you participate in his plan for glorifying himself. God is going to get his glory. What a privilege when we participate in his glory rather than him getting glory despite our resistance what he's doing. If you never understand the whys of this life before eternity, 
One day, the design is going to take your breath away. Speaking of eternity, God's timing is often not ours, but in the end, his followers will live eternally. That almost sounds like a non sequitur. God's timing is not ours, but you know what? We're going to live eternally. Deferred gratification has always been difficult, right? When you were younger, did you look for and find Christmas gifts that were hidden away? Do you still do that? I think some of you may, may still do that. Some of you have learned that if you do not want your husband to find the gift, you better get it at somebody else's house or the wife. So the husband has to get, you know, there's, there's one in every family, I would think. Uh, waiting for God to give you a spouse, waiting for a spouse for your children or grandchildren, waiting for a job promotion, waiting for whatever. The prosperity gospel, which was the primary heresy in the first century, although it's a little different than what we think of today, but it was a big heresy in the first century. The prosperity gospel has so impacted us all that we think it is our right to have God answer us according to our plans. Now, he invites us to ask anything, but we must ask with a heart of trust and recognize that his plan, his glory, is paramount. When Jesus said, this sickness that Lazarus has will not end in death, he did not say, this illness will not be fatal. He said, it will not end in death. And that is true for all who repent of their sins and believe that Jesus came to die in their place. And with this, you may be tempted to say, ah, I see what you did there. And that's just a trick. I'm going to die now, but this sickness is not going to end in death. I'm going to live eternally. What good is that doing me right now? What is that good is that doing for my goals and my plans and my family? I, I suppose the answer in the short term depends on what you believe about God and sin and death and eternity and ultimately what you believe about Jesus. What piece of the puzzle did Jesus reveal when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Death is going to be conquered at Jesus' resurrection and we will live forever. That is good news. Fourth, Jesus' anger was directed towards sin and its consequences. That is where our anger should be directed as well. It must have been something to see an angry Jesus snorting like a horse. Why is it that we look at sin and think it's cute and harmless? Well, we think that until sin's devastating impact hits close to home. Here's the point. Love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates, but absolutely learn to distinguish between sin and the sinner. Hate the sin, but love the sinner and recognize that you would be in the same condition 
were it not for Jesus. If all of a sudden I were stricken blind up here and, and, and I, it was very evident that I couldn't and I started making my way here and I stumbled and fell, would you say, oh, oh no, no, you'd probably be saying, wait, 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 right where you are. Or, or would you say, stupid, you lost your sight, what are you doing? Why don't you wait for somebody to, look, blind people who don't know they're blind really do go stumbling around in the dark. And that's who we are, apart from Jesus. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Last, God's word, and this is just as important as the glory. The first and last points of application are crucial for us to understand. God's word is always working to accomplish his purposes. Therefore, put yourself under the authority of his word. What choice did death have when Jesus demanded Lazarus to come forth? None. Death let go. And Lazarus came out. And there is little better that could have happened to strengthen our faith in our day than Lazarus dying and then four days later, Jesus raising him from the dead. You have no idea what your circumstances are going to do 300 years from now because of a chain of events. If you glorify God in the midst of your pain, if you belong to him and you submit to him, one day you're going to be so glad that you trusted him, even in your pain. God is always accomplishing his purposes by and through his word. Just like this real life account of Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus has instructed us on how we should live our lives when lived according to the word. Instruct others. You are our living epistles, Paul said. You're a letter telling the love of Jesus to others. And so the more time you spend in Scripture, the more you will learn to trust God who does all things for His glory. And you will come to believe that the God of glory showers His great love on His children through Jesus. He does all things well. It's in the story, the big story of the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I have thought much about life and death and eternity this week as my Dear and close brother, Phil Wilson, has <laughs> come face to face 
with the Savior that he loved and the one that he wanted everyone to know about. And Lord, as we slog our way through this life, and even if it's really good right now, we all know it may not be good tomorrow or next week or whenever. But as we do, when we by faith see that there is a far bigger story in play and that we are privileged to be a part of this story and that we get to exalt Jesus and point people to him. And our hearts are encouraged. And so, Lord, make us vessels worthy of your May we participate in the glory that is going to Jesus, to the Father, to the Son, to the, to the Spirit, to the triune God. Encourage our hearts this day. Draw us closer to Jesus that we may be more like him. Even though we know it involves a cross, we also know it involves a glorious resurrection. Glorious Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.